Are there stars in heaven? Do they appear in the sky? And if so, why? Are there also hundreds of billions of hydrogen and helium spheres extending for millions of light years in every direction? Is there lightning in the afterlife? If so, is it also caused by charged cloud particles? Well, just about everyone who claims to have had glimpses of the afterlife reports light phenomena. Asking, did you see a white light has spilled over into pop culture, and if you dig deeper into their accounts, you'll find situations involving light described by all kinds of people, including, drumroll, Emmanuel Swedenborg. Tonight, we're going to look not only at what kinds of light he reported in the spiritual world, but what causes that light and what it all means. Stay tuned. Everybody, welcome back to Swedenborgian Life. Sorry about that Be- beginning couple sentences. I got ahead of myself. It's hard. It's hard to read things. Uh, my name is Curtis Childs, and uh, I can read that off there. I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation, nonprofit group that works to take Swedenborg's ideas and, and get them into the conversation, which is what we hope to do tonight. And you can be part of that conversation. Get your questions, your comments in, and we will be answering them as uh, to the best of our abilities, which is not very well, at the end of the show. So we hope to see you there. And today we're going to be taking a safari of sorts, a tour of the afterlife with our spiritual eyes open. And if this is your first time watching the show, you probably already turned it off, so I, I don't need to explain it. <laughs> the, what we're doing is taking a look at the recorded spiritual experiences of Emanuel Swedenborg. Last week, we looked at light, spiritual light, and why we talk in our minds like there is light there. I see, I understand, I'm enlightened. And we looked at that phrasing, but also at the phenomena behind it, that there is a spiritual dimension, and the analog of what light is in this dimension, the physical world, is this spiritual truth that serves the same function. It illuminates things in the spiritual world, the the world that makes us think and feel, just the way physical light illuminates things here. So this is, in a way, light part two, And but what we're doing, instead of looking at the how does spiritual light work, what is it, we're just going to go and read and look at interesting things that Swedenborg says he saw, because there's a whole crazy big world out there that he reported seeing, and we want to see what's the coolest stuff in it. So we're going to begin uh, with some thoughts and observations on clothing and atmospheres. I'm going to go subject by subject. Swedenborg, as you may or may not know, wrote a lot of books, depending on how they're translated, 30 volumes, and he had a lot of anecdotes. It, just like if you were just to keep a journal of 30 years' experience in this life, you would have all kinds of, I saw this person, they were doing this crazy thing, you're not going to believe what I saw over here, I saw a cat that, insert cat thing there. He did the same kind of thing, but with spirits, and we're going to take a look at that, and we're going to begin where all journeys begin with synesthesia. Maybe you've heard of that, that is where Two senses combine. You know, you some people see, when they see a number, there's a color that always goes with that number. Seven is always green or something like that. And that can happen in spiritual experiences as well. And we're actually going to begin with a different author, Eben Alexander. He wrote a book that was pretty famous called 
Proof of Heaven uh, and the Map of Heaven, another book. This is from Proof of Heaven. Here's something he reported seeing during his near-death experience. Seeing and hearing were not separate in this place where I now was. I could hear the visual beauty of the silvery bodies of those scintillating beings above, and I could see the surging, joyful perfection of what they sang. It seemed that you could not look or listen to anything in this world without becoming part of it, without joining with it in some mysterious way. Everything was distinct, and yet everything was also part of everything else, like the rich and intermingled designs on a Persian carpet. So, things are more woven together there. And I think that is an experience that a lot of people come away with when they have uh, an otherworldly perception. And Swedenborg reported the same kinds of things. This is from his book, Married Love, number 266. And we're just jumping into the middle of a conversation. It doesn't really matter who the characters are, but it's Swedenborg talking to some angels. And they are saying to him, Our love of governing does not arise from a love of self, but from a love of accomplishing useful ends. And because a love of accomplishing useful ends comes from the Lord, therefore all good and useful things in heaven are splendid and radiant. In our society, we are all possessed of this love, and therefore its atmosphere appears golden." from the light which it draws there from the blaze of the sun. For the blaze of the sun corresponds to that love. When they said this, I saw as well a similar atmosphere appearing about them, and I sensed a fragrance emanating from it, which I also mentioned to them. So three things I want to talk about from there. First of all, that synesthesia, you had a uh, an atmosphere that was golden light, but it also smelled like something. He doesn't say, but I'm assuming it was a good smell. Then also you have there the way that angels think affects the light. And this is something we looked at before. This is an example of correspondence. The spiritual world um, could also be called the mental world, excuse me, or the emotional world, and that what's going on in your heart and mind in that world actually manifests externally. So if there's a group of people that think a certain way, you can tell because that affects the light, because their ideas or truth is light, right? And then at the beginning of that, they said we have a love for ruling for, for good. Swedenborg, just a little tangent, he talks about the, the root of all evil is a love of controlling for evil, meaning you want to dominate other people's lives for your own selfish ends. The flip of that, there's always a good and, and a bad on every concept, is a love of power for good. That if you were, let's say you're somebody who loved to help uh, children who didn't have access to good education, get education. If you were passionate about that, you were trying to do it, and you could go pretty far, but if you suddenly had $45 million, you would have a lot of power to do a lot more, and you'd be excited about that power because of the good it can do. That's the kind of excitement the angels have in power, okay? So that is one description of light in heaven, being a reflection of the mindset of angels. But there's other, there's all kinds of ways that light displays as a phenomena. And here we're going to take a look at a video, uh, which is a quote from Swedenborg's True Christianity, where people's clothing starts to reflect certain heavenly principles. And we're going to, we had a, a few, have a few people that worked with me on the show are going to be reading these quotes, because we don't want you to suffer from too much Curtis syndrome, which you could if I read these all, because we're going into a lot of accounts by Swedenborg. So here's someone's going to read this quote, and this is, again, you're dropping right into a story about some newcomers to the spiritual world and the hospitality they received there. So let us begin. 
Around the time of evening, a courier dressed in linen came to the ten newcomers who were with the angel and invited them to attend a wedding celebration on the following day. The newcomers were thrilled at the idea that they would be attending a wedding in heaven. Then they were brought to one of the privy counselors and enjoyed an evening meal with him. After the meal, they went back to their shared quarters, said goodnight to each other, retired to their own rooms, and slept through until morning. They awoke to hear the girls and young women singing from the houses surrounding the public square. That morning, the feeling embodied in the song was the desire for marriage love. The guests were intensely moved and affected by the sweetness of the song. Deep within their joyful response, they became aware of a profoundly satisfying sense of bliss, which elevated and refreshed their joy. When the time had come, the angel said, Get dressed in the clothes from heaven that our prince sent you earlier. They put them on and were surprised to see that they were now radiant with a flame-colored light. They asked the angel what caused this. He said, It is because you are going to attend a wedding today. On such days, our clothes shine and become wedding garments. So somehow, their fabric can be responsive to events. It's the spiritual world, so the meaning the, the meaning for sentient beings affects what you would call physical, affects what you can see and feel. Because they were going to this wedding, which is this joining of two things in love, their, their clothes reacted to that. You saw light coming out. Incidentally, you saw her reading there, that giant book is the deluxe paperback of Swedenborg. If you get that, that has like notes from the NCE team, it has uh, intros, it's, it's well worth it if you can handle carrying it around. Okay, so clothes shining, another light phenomenon. Let's go right, let's jump into as complex a light phenomenon as we can find, uh, or yeah, phenomena as we can find. And rainbows? Is that good enough for you? Swedenborg, we've, we've featured Rainbow Talk from Swedenborg in a couple episodes before because it does come up. There's, there's rainbows beyond what we could imagine here in this world there. And this is, I've got a couple of things I want to touch on. Let's first read about them in our Apocalypse Explained number 595. Uh, this is talking about the light of heaven. And there, there is a difference. There's the light of heaven, the light of world of spirits. There's even light in hell of different kinds, and we'll get there to all of them. The light of heaven, like as the light of the world, excuse my old translation, according to its incidence upon objects and its modification in them, presents variegations of color and also rainbows. These it has also sometimes been granted to me to see in the angelic heaven. So we're seeing rainbows in the angelic heaven, which is a Swedenborgian term for the highest heaven. But the rainbows that appear in the angelic heaven differ from the rainbows that appear in the world, in that the rainbows of heaven are from a spiritual origin, while the rainbows of the world are from a natural origin. For the, excuse me, for the rainbows of heaven are from the light that arises from the Lord as a sun, and as the sun is in its essence the Lord's divine love, and the light therefrom is divine truth, the variegations of light which are presented as rainbows are variegations of intelligence and wisdom with the angels. From this it is that rainbows there signify the form and beauty of spiritual divine truth. You notice in the intro I was asking all these smarmy questions, like, why, are there stars in heaven? Why? Why is there light phenomena? And there you see, he's saying what we already touched on, is that everything there relates to what's going on in the mind and the heart. So the more developed your mind is, the more divine truth can flow through, the more that creates things like rainbows. These happen in response to sentient 
being. So that's the difference. It's not a physical origin. It's a it's an emotional, mental origin. That 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 is what creates all of this color and, and things you can see. So let's take a look at another quote about rainbows. And here he goes into some detail about some strange rainbows. And we tried our best to represent them, uh, but they're not nothing like you would see on the planet, sort of a, a spiritual extension of that. So here's a video. This is from Secrets of Heaven 1623. As for rainbows, there's a kind of iridescent heaven in which the whole atmosphere seems to be made of tiny rainbows one after another. The entire atmosphere there, all the air, consists of these gleams of light and therefore radiates out of each individual beacon, so to speak. A much larger rainbow, compounded of similar smaller ones that are exquisite miniatures of the big one, form a gorgeous belt around the outside. Each color then consists of many, many rays, so that millions of rays make up a single, all-inclusive rainbow visible to the eye. The rainbow is a modification of the points of light, a modification produced by the heavenly and spiritual forces that create the rainbow, and in the process present before the observer's eyes a picture full of representative meaning. There's no limit to the different types and varieties of rainbows, several of which I was privileged to see. To grasp in some measure the kind of variation they display, and to see how very many rays of light go into a single visible one, let me describe just one or two. Once a large-scale rainbow appeared before me so that I could learn from it what rainbows are like at the smallest scale. There was a brilliant white light with a kind of belt around it. At the core of the belt was something dim and earth-like surrounded by a bright radiance. The radiance was dappled and broken up by another kind of light containing golden starlight sparkles. Other changes occurred when flowers of different colors entered into the bright radiance. Colors produced not only by white light, but by a fiery kind of light. All of it represented heavenly and spiritual qualities. In the other world, all visible colors represent something heavenly or spiritual. Colors that partake of fire represent aspects of love and of a desire for what is good. Colors that partake of white light represent aspects of faith and of a desire for truth. All colors in the next life come from these sources and therefore gleam so brilliantly that colors in this world cannot be compared to them. There are also colors that have never been seen in the world. A rainbow shape with something grass-like and green at its center also appeared, and I sensed a kind of sun off to the side, out of sight, gleaming, and giving off a light so bright that it cannot be described. At the edges were the most beautiful variations of color possible in a luminescent, pearly field. These and other experiences showed me what a rainbow is like in its smallest components. They also showed me that there is no end to the number of variations which depend on neighborly love and the resulting faith in an individual who sees them represented. That individual in turn looks like a rainbow to others when presented to their view in all her or his beauty and glory. Did you catch that at the end there? That she's talking about phenomena of rainbow. I saw this kind of rainbow in the sky. It had something earth-like in it. There was something with a green center. At the end... He just slips in there that a person, an angel, who's a person who's passed on, can 
appear as a rainbow or surrounded in a rainbow to other people when their, their true quality is shown. We don't have something comparable to that in this world. That when, let's really see your essence, and you get this picture with all this color and light, and it's cool to think of the future. If, if that's really where we're headed, and this way of being able to know each other, like knowing the depths of each other, appreciate each other for what we really are in in these profound ways that that we can't even hear, even with all our communication. And think about the people that we know that we lost being there, and things are just more vivid than they are now, and they're seeing these cool things, and they want to tell us about it. I, I just think it's cool to think of it continuing on. And speaking of continuing on, we're going to continue. Part two, let's take a look at stars. So we would probably get a lot of emails from the star community if we talked about life phenomena or light phenomena and didn't mention stars because they're one of the coolest light things out there. And Swedenborg has a lot to say about them. So we'll begin in Apocalypse Revealed 51. This is one of his books about uh, the book of Revelation. When angels are below the heavens, a great number of what look like little stars appear around them. And likewise around spirits who, when they lived in the world, acquired concepts of goodness and truth for themselves from the word, or truths of life and doctrine. These little stars appear fixed, however, in the case of those who possess genuine truths from the word, but wandering in the case of those who possess falsified truths. So you have a manifestation of the truth in the mind is these little stars that appear around them. But you can, beyond just seeing that and thinking it's cool, you can tell what kind of mindset a person has by seeing the stars around them. Like you can, if the stars are wandering in whichever fashion he means that, you can tell this person doesn't quite know, uh, this person has some messed up ideas. These kinds of things make themselves apparent when it takes it can take you years to figure this out about somebody uh, in this planet. Let's take a look at one more. This is Apocalypse Explained 402, and Apocalypse Explained um, was his first uh you know, delving into Revelation, but he didn't publish it. We talked about it in another episode. He published Apocalypse Revealed instead, in case you were wondering about that. So it says, stars all appear also in the angelic heaven, but they are appearances from the knowledges of good and truth. Therefore, they appear around those who are in those knowledges, especially when they turn them over in the mind and are in the desire of knowing them. So if I was in the spiritual world right now, and I had some higher truths in my mind, and I was contemplating on them and thinking about them, you'd see this. You'd see little stars appearing around. And these are fixed, so you'd know I was thinking about something good. But it, it goes beyond facial expressions. Here, the best we can do is you think and you see your eyes and mouth react to it, but there you actually get this, this light telling you the story of what's going on inside the person. So I think that's cool. But so in that situation, stars are representation of truths or ideas in someone. But not only that, people can appear as stars or as different kinds of light. And Swedenborg describes this. This is from his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, number 2676. Spirits can be distinguished from one another when it pleases the Lord by their appearance as fire or stars, little ones. The ones whose reasonings have been darkened by false ideas appear to others as red fires. Those who are even more darkened by falsity as coal fires 
Though still more, as a kind of fire that has a sickening look, so sad as to strike others with sorrow. Spirits, however, whose faith involves true ideas, that is, who are led by the Lord, appear as bright little stars in the celestial hemisphere. They have appeared to me at times that way, and so they appeared today to spirits. Just from that appearance, we could tell where they were and what they were like. They also spoke with me. Okay, kids, that's the end of the show. Time to go. See ya. Okay, sorry about that, everyone. I just had to get the kids out of the room because we're going to talk about evil spirits now, and these next two videos are creepy. There's no way around it. Light is a way of displaying goodness, but it also appears in displaying uh, the depravity of of, uh, selfishness in the extreme. So here are a couple of creepy encounters that Swedenborg had. This one is from Secrets of Heaven 5566 when he saw a, a, a mind engulfed in a cloud. Someone once came to me looking like a black cloud with erratically moving stars around it. When such stars appear in the other world, they symbolize falsity, while fixed stars symbolize truth. I sensed that it was a spirit who wanted to come close. When he did, he aroused fear, which is an ability possessed by certain spirits, especially robbers. From this, I was able to conclude that he was a robber. While he was near me, he tried as hard as he could to torment me by certain magic arts, but without success. He stretched out a hand to exercise imaginary power, but that accomplished absolutely nothing. Afterwards, I was shown what his face looked like. There was no face, but something pitch black instead. In it appeared a mouth gaping fiercely and hideously, a maw lined with a row of teeth. In short, he was like a rabid dog with its jaws open so wide that there was no face, only the open mouth. Everything about the appearance of that spirit has meaning. The no face has to do with none of the love that truly makes us human, which is love for other people. When you lose that, you you lose your eyes, you lose your understanding of truth. Nose is perception of good. You just have the teeth, which are external things. It all means something. All the appearances, all this light is all based on, it's all a reflection of inner character. If you have a cloud around you with wandering stars, that has to do with your inner character. So if you learn to read that language of correspondences, when you get to the spiritual world, you can know what people are like right away. And Swedenborg was in that, so that's part of how he learned so much about the spiritual world. So the kids are still gone. We're going to do one more scary one. In this one, though, there's not only correspondence in the way the form the body takes, but even in things like weapons. So in this, this is from his Journal of Spiritual Experiences 1210, and it talks about people who... Uh, because of what they were like, uh, they had these axes that they carried around with them. So here it is. Such spirits as those spoken of above in the other life want without conscience to murder their companions and whomsoever they meet. They seem to themselves to be holding an axe or to have a hammer in their hand and to smite another spirit who is knocked flat before them, but not so as to shed blood because they are fearful of their own death. But still, without conscience, they cruelly strike the one lying before them. They cannot cast away that instrument from their hand, as they want to do, lest they be seen to be of such a quality. But they are continually kept doing this in order that the ferocity of their spirit may appear before spirits and angels. Moreover, their faces appeared studded with many wandering stars. There were so many of them on the face of one spirit that I was astonished. 
but this was after the one spirit had struck others. It was also told me that those wandering stars signified the appearance of honesty in externals. So, I found it interesting that the, these spirits are have this murderous intent. They want to cut each other up, but they don't. They don't draw blood because they're afraid of losing their own life. That you're because in part of the the deal with loving evil and acting out on it is you bring it on yourself as well. And I think people they they must sense that and say, okay, I'm not going to go that far because I don't want that, but I I can't help wanting to harm people. So that that is the hell mindset. All right. Everybody can come back in the room. We're going we're gonna to look at this in a positive light now. So as Swedenborg reported, there's all this range of phenomena that he was from very scary, like we just saw, to good, but, but it's not like in this world where you're walking through a neighborhood and you don't know who's around the corner. It could be someone really nice, could be someone really mean. The heaven and hell have their spheres that, that push apart, so eventually uh, everything good gathers together and everything evil gathers in opposition to it. So you're not going to be just walking along and suddenly, ah, oh, there's somebody scary there. This is You only go to where the scary people are if you like scariness, and, the, and you are scary. So that, that's how the whole thing works. Let's, on a lighter note, let's look at stars in the sky representing states of wisdom, as Swedenborg reported this in Secrets of Heaven. A sky with stars appears in the next life but not the sky we see in the world. Instead, it is a sky whose appearance adapts to the state of understanding and wisdom present in the spirits and angels. Stars there are concepts of goodness and truth, while the clouds sometimes observed in the sky vary in their symbolism, depending on their color, their translucence, and their comings and goings. The blue of the sky stands for the truth that is transparent with goodness. Everything has a meaning. The blue of the sky, the kind of clouds that are in it, the stars that appear, it all symbolizes something. And this, this is one of the central messages in Swedenborg, is that there is a symbolism in everything. Not only the things in the spiritual world, but the things in the physical world, if we knew how to read it, they are also symbols. We talked about that light, the physical light that you see, is a symbol of truth, and the, it, it's a physical analog to the spiritual phenomena of truth. So you can go on and on about that, uh, and even it can even happen in sacred texts, as we'll see when we get to one of these later sections. All right, more on stars, and there's we're going to drop into uh, Apocalypse Revealed 65, where he talks about how uh, each society can be like a star. In the spiritual world, an expanse full of stars appears, as in the natural world, and it appears in consequence of the angelic societies in heaven, any one society there shining as a star in the presence of those who are below. So you have stars in the sky, but it's not just a mass of glowing material. You're, you're seeing heaven up there. And I'm going to talk about The Lion King. Do you guys know The Lion King? It's an old movie now, but at one point they, there was this, they talked about this phenomenon that is in a lot of cultures, that the stars are your ancestors looking down on you. That, that's what some people believed. And don't we have this positive affinity with the stars, this idea that there's something comforting about looking at the stars. It's all over literature uh, and cinema, that the stars are something nice. But in reality, what stars are, I mean, they're physical stars. They're just big. They're indifferent to us. They could harm us if they came close. They can send off, uh, you know, even the sun can send off blasts that can mess up everything. However, on a spiritual level, 
these stars or these communities of heaven, that really is ancestors up there. And it really is benevolent. The stars, the spiritual stars really are benevolent and a source of hope and comfort. And everything that the physical stars seem to give to us, that would be correspondence, that we're seeing a physical, we really are seeing these physical stars that are, you know, hydrogen, helium, whatever is in a star, but they're a physical representation of this stuff in heaven. And that's why you get this feeling of comfort looking at the stars, according to Swedenborg. And Swedenborg was once talking about stars with some angels, and they had this interesting thought on the number of stars and what that all means. So this is True Christianity 160. Once I was out on a walk with some angels. We were walking in the world of spirits, which is midway between heaven and hell, the place where all of us first go after we die. I was speaking with them about many different things, among which was the following. In the world where I am currently living in my body, countless stars appear at night, large and small. They are all suns that transmit just their light to our solar system. When I notice that there are also visible stars in your world, I reckon that there are the same number here as in the world where I live. Delighted by this topic of conversation, the angel said, there could well be the same number. Every community in heaven at times shines like a star to those who are below heaven. There are countless communities in heaven, all arranged according to different feelings of love for what is good. These feelings are infinite in God, therefore there are countless feelings from Him. Since these heavenly communities were foreseen before creation, I suppose that the stars were provided in the same amount, meaning that an equal number of stars were created for the world where people with a physical earthly body were going to live. Divine foresight that God knew just how many angelic communities would form and arrange the universe to create the same number of stars. And Swedenborg and the angels didn't even really know. They were just kind of rapping about it, which is interesting, I felt like. Uh, So there's a little story about the number of stars and sort of the link between the physical and the spiritual. It's not direct. It's not like you are looking at the sky and seeing communities of angels, but you're seeing an echo of that or an image of that. So one last thing about stars. Uh, Communities can appear like a human being. But also, like we saw before, people in the spiritual world can have stars around them uh, based on what's in the mind. Whole communities represented as human forms can have stars around it based on what's going on in the community. You know what I'm saying? It's a little bit uh, a macrocosm of what we are. And he describes it here in, our, in a video. This is from Heaven and Hell. Uh, again, Swedenborg describing the phenomena. I have also been permitted to see that an entire angelic society where the Lord is visibly present appears as a one in the human form. There appeared on high towards the east something like a cloud, from glowing white becoming red, and with little stars round about, which was descending. And as it gradually descended, it became brighter, and at last appeared in a perfect human form. The little stars round about the cloud were angels, who so appeared by virtue of light from the Lord. You ready for something a little closer to Earth? We've spent a lot of time in stars, and obviously the, uni- the, the galaxy, the universe is huge. It's got to all have this spiritual meaning. But even the stuff that appears in our own atmosphere is meaningful, and you see an analog in the spiritual world. So we're going to pick up at part three with lightning. There's two major ways that we're going to focus on here that lightning functions in the spiritual world as described by Swedenborg. This first video is 
this is lightning as a teacher. We're going to see, we're dropped into this conversation where there's a wise man who is addressing a group of people. In, this is in the afterlife. A wise man is addressing a group of people, including Swedenborg. And he's teaching them about the essence of marriage love and the importance of it and what it does. And as you'll see in here, lightning also plays a teaching role. So this is from Swedenborg's book, Married Love 316, and it begins with, you're, you're dropping right into the speech by this wise man, and you'll see him appear in a second. So here he goes. There is a tendency toward marriage in every substance, even the smallest. This can be observed in composite substances that are compounded from simple substances. For example, we have two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, two cheeks, two lips, two arms and hands, two legs and two feet. The reason there are two is that one belongs to our volition and the other to our discernment, acting together so wonderfully that they can be treated as one. As he was saying this, there was a reddish flash of lightning on the right and a clear flash on the left. Both were gentle and entered through our eyes into our minds and enlightened them. Next came thunder, a gentle rumbling from the angelic heaven that flowed down and intensified. When the wise man heard and saw this, he said, This is a sign alerting me to add something to what I have said, namely, that the right-hand member of each of these pairs means what is good in them, and the left-hand member means what is true in them. This comes from the marriage of the good and the true that is engraved in us overall and in every detail. After he said this, we saw the two flashes of lightning again, but gentler than before. This time it seemed that the lightning on the left was getting its brilliance from the reddish fire of the lightning on the right. When he saw this, he said, This is a sign from heaven confirming what I have said, because in heaven what is good is fiery and what is true is clear. It seemed as though the lightning on the left was getting its brilliance from the reddish fire of the lightning on the right to show that the brilliance of light or the light itself is nothing but the radiance of the fire. On hearing this, fired by the good and true essence of happiness as a result of the lightning and the talk on that subject, everyone went home. So that guy could say something, watch the lightning, and that would tell him, yeah, this is true, what I said, because you can see heaven, by the way, it's red on the right-hand side and clear on the left, and they go into each other. You can tell that what I said was true. So lightning can be sort of a fact checker there. And I don't know if you noticed, but in his speech, he talked about how human beings have two of a lot of things. And he said, the right-hand side has to do with love, the left hand has to do with truth. And this channel is called Off the Left Eye for a number of reasons, but it's pro- that is a, is a pillar of it that we're talking about understanding truth. So the left eye is a symbol of understanding truth, because we give out information, the right side, the doing, it, that's what we all go home and do, hopefully inspired <laughs> by what we've seen here on the program. So that's part of why it's called off the left eye. Okay, um, yeah, and so he could, he could look at that lightning, and the lightning would show 
do the ideas concur, and that that lightning was coming from a heaven above them, that the things that, that appear like atmospheric phenomena are from higher and higher levels, because even angels have angels that they look up to, you know what I mean? Also, lightning can be a symbol in a negative sense of conflict, because everything has a positive and a negative sense. So there it was, this teaching and confirmation. It can also be a reflection of an argument, as Swedenborg reported in True Christianity 77, which we're going to pull up. Early one day, after I had emerged from sleep but was still not fully awake, I was meditating in the light of the cloudless morning. When through the window I saw something like flashing and heard something like a peal of thunder. As I was wondering what was going on, I heard from heaven that there were some not far from me who were aggressively debating about God and nature. The flashes of light like lightning and rumble in the air like thunder were correspondences manifesting on the conflict and clashing of the arguments. One side was for God, the other for nature. God or nature meaning there is a God, no there's not, there's just the physical world. And that kind of shows the fluidity of Swedenborg's spiritual mind and physical mind, that he was talking about being in the physical world. I was meditating, but then he could hear thunder, and that was spiritual, and the people who were arguing were in the spiritual world. So he crosses over very quickly between the two lucidly, and that that was just what he did. So if I was in the spiritual world, and somebody came in here and started, like, we were going to have an argument, is there a God or is there not a God? You'd see around us, from afar, you would perceive this. It doesn't even necessarily mean that that person and I would see lightning, but if you were observing, you could tell the nature of our interaction by seeing these flashes and hearing the thunder, that kind of thing. So, so such is the nature of the spiritual world. There is meta-information. Beyond just hearing words, seeing facial expressions, you get communications through imagery, and in this case, through different kinds of light. So, we are arming you with this knowledge, so when you get there, you will know exactly what's going on with everybody. Okay, let's take a look now at how light can be very important in not just revealing what people are talking about, but their, their character through and through. Let's take a look at part four. So, we're calling this honesty through optics because one of the features of the spiritual world is that it is, as Dr. Jonathan Rose describes it, an honest world. What you see is what you get there. Here, there's a lot of facade you can put up, you can act like you're something you're not. In the spiritual world, there's a lot of attempts at deception, but that can be pierced in a way that it can't be pierced here. So, this we're going to read a couple accounts of light being the agent that reveals people's true character. The light of heaven, very powerful, very good at showing you what's really going on and what's really up. So let's start in True Christianity 462. Later on, I saw them in the light of heaven. So he's talking about some people. We don't know what they were before, but he he saw them now. Before he wasn't seeing them in the light of heaven, now he has this light of heaven turned on, and watch how it changes his perception of them. Later on, I saw them in the light of heaven, which uncovers and manifests what people are really like. Then they did not seem as they had before. 
They were not flying through the air in a ship as through, though through heaven itself. They did not look like they had fine purple rose or laurel wreaths on their heads. They were instead in a sandy place, in clothes made out of rags, with something like fish nets wrapped around their waists that still showed their nakedness. For obvious re- reasons, we don't have a picture of that. But you could tell that light of heaven, before, from what he said, these people were all were looking really majestic and really great, um, but... Because this light of heaven came in, he could see, not only could he see what they were like, but all their their clothing, everything, what they were doing changed to reflect what was truly within them, and that was the power of this uh, light of heaven. So now we're going to take a look at another quote, and I was deciding whether or not to tell you this, but this is the longest quote we've ever read on this show. So do your stretches, relax in your, in your chair, and we're going to do this Heaven and Hell 518 together. Okay. There were some spirits who, while they were in the world, had thought their way into the conviction that they would get into heaven and would be accepted before anyone else because they were well-educated and knew a lot about the Word and the doctrine of the churches. They believed that they were wise, that they were the people meant by the prophecy in Daniel 12, 3, that they will shine like the glory of the firmament and like, their, like the stars. However, they were examined to see whether their learning was lodged in their memories or in their life. The ones who had a real affection for truth, that is, for the sake of constructive acts apart from merely physical and worldly motives, acts that were essentially spiritual, once they had been instructed, were accepted into heaven." They were then granted knowledge of what does shine in heaven. It is the divine truth, which is heaven's light there in constructive living. This being the facet that receives that light and turns it into various kinds of radiance. Part two. All right. We're about a little more than halfway through, or a little less than halfway through. So don't worry, we're making it through. For others, though, The learning was lodged only in their memories. They had thereby acquired an ability to reason about truths and to prove the ones they accepted as fundamental, notions that looked true once they were proved, even though they were false. These people were not in heaven's light at all, but were wrapped up in a faith based on the pride that characterizes so many people of like intelligence, a pride of being especially erudite and therefore destined for heaven, where they will be waited on by angels." Because of all this, to extract them from their conceited faith, they were taken up to the first or outermost heaven to be admitted into one particular angelic community. All right, home stretch. Even as they were entering it, though, their sight began to darken at the inflow of heaven's light. Then their intellects began to be confused, and eventually they began to labor for breath as though they were dying. Not only that, when they began to feel heaven's warmth, which is heavenly love, they began to feel profound agonies. So they were expelled, and then were taught the knowledge that knowledge does not make an angel, only the actual life that people have gained through their knowledge. This is because in and of itself, knowledge is outside of heaven, but a life gained through knowledge is inside heaven. In recap, it matters what you do in your life. It doesn't just matter what you know. If, and if you have a pride in your intelligence, even if it's, you know a lot of religious or spiritual stuff, if you consider yourself better than others, the light of heaven is not pleasant for you. The light and the warmth, the things that make heaven pleasant, can't flow into that kind of life. People aren't forced out of heaven just because you don't deserve the happiness. It's because if you don't get your mind right, you're going to be miserable there. So they have a chance in the spiritual world to get, um, to get fixed up and get into heaven. And I want to point out, um, uh, if you watched our last show, uh, we had this thing about um, prisms, 
uh, and the prisms ref refracting light, and then we're all different kinds. And we had some imagery of these prisms, uh, you know, in that. And if you noticed, tucked away in that longest of all the long quotes, uh, it said that constructive living is what refracts the divine light, or what, you know, what uh, makes it yours. So the nice things that you do define who you are. That's the point of that long, long quote. That is what really makes you who you are, the good things you do for other people. All right, enough of me. We had quite a lot of me here. Let's look at True Christianity 187, which is more with this light of heaven revealing what's really going on. So let's take a look. Once as I was meditating on the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet mentioned in the book of Revelation, an angelic spirit appeared to me and asked what I was meditating on. I said, the false prophet. The angelic spirit said, I will take you to the place where the spirits meant by the false prophet are. He added, They are the same spirits portrayed in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation as the beast from the earth who had two horns like a lamb, but who spoke like a dragon. I followed the angelic spirit. To my surprise, I saw a crowd with church leaders in the center of it. The leaders were teaching that nothing saves us except faith in Christ's merit, and that works are good things to do, but not for our salvation. They were also proclaiming that works need to be taught from the word, so as to put lay people, especially simple ones, on a leash, so that they may obey their civic leaders and feel compelled from within by religion to practice moral goodwill. Then one of them saw me and said, Do you want to see our shrine? It has a sculpture in it that portrays our faith. I went and saw it. It was magnificent. In the center of the shrine there was a statue of a woman dressed in scarlet clothes. She had a gold coin in her right hand and a chain of pearls in her left. Both the statue and the shrine, however, were projected images. Hellish spirits have the ability to portray magnificent things using projected images. They do it by closing off the inner levels of our mind and opening only its outer levels. When I realized that the statue and the shrine were conjured up through sorcery, I prayed to the Lord. Suddenly the inner levels of my mind were opened. Then, instead of a magnificent shrine, I saw a house that was full of cracks from the roof all the way down to the foundation. Nothing in it was solidly connected. Instead of the woman, I saw a dummy hanging in the house that had the head of a dragon, the body of a leopard, the feet of a bear, and the mouth of a lion. It was exactly like the beast from the sea described in Revelation 13.2. Instead of the floor, there was a swamp that contained thousands of frogs. I was told that under the swamp there was a great hewn stone, and beneath it the word lay deeply hidden. Seeing this, I said to the sorcerer, Is this your shrine? It is, the sorcerer said. Just then, though, the sorcerer's inner sight opened up as well. The sorcerer saw the same things I was seeing and loudly shouted, What is this? Where did this come from? It came from the light of heaven, I said, which has disclosed the true quality of each form here, including the quality of your faith 
which has been separated from spiritual goodwill. Immediately the east wind came up and blew away the shrine with the sculpture. It dried up the swamp and exposed the stone that had the word lying underneath it. Then a warm spring-like breeze blew in from heaven. To my surprise, I then saw a tent in that same place, a very simple one in its outer form. Angels who were there with me said, Look, it is Abraham's tent, just as it was when the three angels came to him to announce that Isaac was going to be born. The tent looks simple to the eye, but as the light of heaven flows in, it becomes more and more magnificent. The angels were then granted the ability to open the heaven where spiritual angels live, the angels who have wisdom. In the light that flowed in from that heaven, the tent looked like the temple in Jerusalem. When I looked inside, I saw that the foundation stone under which the word had been hidden was now covered in precious stones. From the precious stones a kind of lightning was flashing across to the walls that had reliefs of angel guardians on them, giving the angel guardians beautifully different colors. As I was feeling awestruck by these sights, the angels said, You are about to see things that are even more miraculous. They were then granted the ability to open the third heaven where heavenly angels live, the angels who have love. As a result of the blazing light that flowed in from that heaven, the entire temple disappeared. In its place I saw the Lord alone, standing on the foundation stone, which was the Word. He looked much the way he had when seen by John in Revelation chapter 1. Yet because holiness then filled the inner realms of the angels' minds so that they felt an overwhelming urge to fall forward on their faces, Suddenly the channel of light from the third heaven was closed by the Lord, and the channel of light from the second heaven was reopened. As a result, the earlier appearance of a temple and also a tent returned. The tent was in the middle of the temple. These experiences illustrated what Revelation 21 means when it says, Behold, the tent of God is with people, and he will dwell with them. And when it says, I saw no temple in the new Jerusalem, because the Lord God Almighty is its temple and the Lamb. So we tried to give you the strangest trip we could think of there. You notice it's this series of imagery, and one thing symbolizes another, and everything's changing and it's dramatic, sort of like dreams. And Swedenborg says that dreams come into us from the spiritual world as well. We're just not as lucid in them as, as sweet, uh, usually as Swedenborg was there. But it all means something. It's all a symbol. A tent is a symbol for a certain kind of worship, so it was there. You know, the, the big stone that he talked about under the ground, that stands for falsity. So it all means something. They're not just imagery for imagery's sake. Okay, so we ended there. You saw there was a copy of the Bible open on that. So what was that? What was the, the significance of that? there. Let's look a little more deeply, because actually Swedenborg talks a lot about the Bible and light, so we're going to get into it in part five. Okay, so 
we're going to be looking here at light. You could probably do a whole show just on light and the Word, as Swedenborg calls it. Uh, but if we're going to talk about the Bible, we have to preface it with that Swedenborg talks about the Bible pretty differently than it is commonly discussed. See these episodes here for a little bit of Swedenborg's you know, symbolic interpretation of these three stories. You know how I said everything in the spiritual world is this symbolism? Everything in the Bible is that same symbolism. That is how it holds divine truth, is in the symbolism of those stories. And that divine truth causes a lot of light phenomena to appear. Let's take a look. There's a book Swedenborg wrote called Sacred Scripture, number 73. The angels acknowledge that all their wisdom comes through the Word, for they are in light in proportion to their understanding of the word. The light of heaven is divine wisdom, which to their eyes is light. In the sanctuary where the copy of the word is kept, there is a flaming and bright light that surpasses every degree of light in heaven that is outside of it. The cause is the same as above mentioned. It is that the Lord is in the word. So divine love and wisdom are in it. So it's not just like it enlightens the mind. If you had a copy of it and you lift it up, eh, it shines. Swedenborg says that it, it physically, visibly shines in that world. And there's, there's reasons for that. It's because the divine truth, the way it's written, and it also I could get into a whole thing about it's not the same in heaven as it is here. It doesn't have all the same story. I mean, it has, doesn't have all the same names of people and places. Swedenborg says angels don't see those. It has the inner meaning that's kind of encased in the stories as we have them here. More on that another episode. Let's take a look at Sacred Scripture 72. It is a wonderful thing that the word in the heavens is so written, and so this is a di- the different way it's written in the heavens, that the simple understand it in simplicity and the wise in wisdom. For there are as many points and marks over the letters, which has been said exactly exalt the meaning, and to these the simple do not attend, nor are they even aware of them, whereas the wise pay attention to them, each one according to his wisdom, even to the highest wisdom. In every larger society of heaven, a copy of the word, written by angels inspired by the Lord, is kept in its sanctuary, lest being elsewhere it should be altered in some point. In respect to the fact that the simple understand it in simplicity, and the wise in wisdom, our word is indeed like that in heaven." but this is affected in a different way. So he's making a distinction between the word that we have here and the one that they have there. That one is coming through the Lord into angels, but they're, they're connected. It's this, ours is a physical representation of the, the spiritual thing, if you believe Swedenborg. One more, one last number, Sacred Scripture 74. The wisdom of the celestial angels surpasses that of the spiritual angels almost as much as this surpasses the wisdom of men. So he's talking about different levels of of heaven and and how they just keep going up and up. As as high as angels are above us, the higher angels uh, are wiser and, and closer to God. And the reason is that the celestial angels are in the good of love from the Lord, while the spiritual angels are in the truths of wisdom from Him. And wherever there is the good of love, there resides at the same time wisdom. But where there, there are truths that... <clears throat> but where there are truths, there resides no more of wisdom. There we go. Then there is the good of love together with it. This is the reason why the word in the celestial kingdom is written differently from that in the spiritual kingdom. So not only is there a different word in heaven, there, there, it's written differently in the different heavens according to how people understand it. For goods of love are expressed in the word of the celestial kingdom, and the marks denotes affections, whereas truths of wisdom are expressed in the word of the spiritual kingdom, and the marks denote 
perceptions. And it's because of those things in there, those perceptions and affections, that the light shines out. It's because of what's within. And that's been the message of this whole show, is what's within shines out. What's in people's hearts and minds, contained within things, creates light and, or, and reflects it and bends it and changes how you see it. And to illu- try to illustrate this a little more visually, here is a conversation uh, that Swedenborg was witness to where some people who were using things out of the Word to push falsity, like they were taking true principles and twisting them to create falsity, were shown, uh, you know, the, the problems that that causes. So we're dropping in in the middle of that story. This is from True Christianity 162. There is a place not far from here where light flows straight in from heaven. In the middle of the place there is a table. When someone puts on the table a piece of paper that has a truth from the word written on it, because of the truth written on it, the piece of paper shines like a star. So write your truths on a piece of paper, allow it to be placed on the table, and you'll see. They a group of spirits who had risen from the abyss and were proclaiming that there is no difference between light and darkness, did. They gave the piece of paper to a guard who put it on the table. The guard then said to them, Stand back and look at the table. They stood back and watched. Lo and behold, the piece of paper began to shine like a star. Then the guard said, You see that the statements you wrote on the piece of paper are true. Now come closer and stare at the piece of paper. They did. Suddenly the light vanished and the piece of paper became as black as if it had been coated with soot from a furnace. Then the guard said, Touch the piece of paper with your hands, but be careful not to touch the writing. When they did, the piece of paper burst into flames and burned up. After they all saw that, they were told, If you had touched the writing, you would have heard roaring sounds and burned your fingers. Some of who were standing at the back then said, Now you see that the truth you have misused to support the mysteries of your justification are true in themselves, but for you they are falsified truths. The spirits glanced up at that point, and heaven looked like blood to them, and then like thick darkness. To the eyes of angelic spirits, some of the spirits from the abyss then looked like bats, some like night birds, some like horned owls. The spirits from the abyss ran off into their own darkness, which looked deceptively bright to their eyes. The angelic spirits who were there were amazed because they had not known anything about that place and the table there before. Then a voice came to them from the direction of the south, saying, Come here and you'll see something even more amazing. So they went. They came to a room with walls that were shining as if made of gold. The angelic spirits saw another table there. On it, the word lay closed, surrounded by precious stones arranged in a form like heaven. When the word is opened up, said the angel guard, a light of inexpressible splendor shines out. At the same time, because of the precious stones, a kind of rainbow appears over and around the word. When an angel from the third heaven comes here, the rainbow over and around the word appears against a red background. 
When an angel from the second heaven comes here and looks, the rainbow appears against a sky blue background. When an angel from the lowest heaven comes here and looks, the rainbow appears against a shining white background. When a good spirit comes here and looks, a light appears that is varied like marble. The god visibly demonstrated to them that this was the case. The angel god also said, If any come along who have falsified the word, first the brightness goes down. If they come close and stare at the word, something like blood appears around the word. They are then warned to leave because of danger. Nevertheless, someone who had been a leading author in the world on the doctrine that we are justified by faith alone came boldly forward and said, When I was in the world, I didn't falsify the word. I exalted goodwill along with faith. I taught that the Holy Spirit renews, regenerates, and sanctifies people who are in an ongoing state of faith that leads them to perform acts of goodwill. I taught that faith does not exist by itself, meaning without good works, just as a tree is not good without fruit, the sun without light, or fire without heat. I brought accusations against people who said that good works were not necessary. In addition, I enlarged the role of the Ten Commandments and repentance as well. In an amazing way, then, I applied everything in the Word to the topic of faith. Nevertheless, I revealed and demonstrated that it is faith alone that brings salvation. In complete confidence in his own assertion that he had not falsified the Word, he came up to the table. Despite a warning from the angel, he touched the word. Flame and smoke suddenly shot out of the word, and there was an explosion with a loud bang that threw him into the corner of the room. For quite a few minutes, he lay there as if he were dead. That's the dynamic in the spiritual world. It's not heaven is punishing hell. It's that heaven is don't touch that. You're gonna you you're you're the wrong element to touch that you you with the way that you're thinking you can't do that don't do it wait I said don't he did it that that's how it is the guy was okay he just had a couple minutes so he was out of it but that is that's how it goes it's not like a, it's not that kind of punishment it's uh it's stop you're gonna hurt yourself oh you hurt yourself you know so if you're if you're justifying faith alone meaning. I only have to know religious-y kind of things. I don't have to be a good person. That's fine. Don't go touch the Word in the next life. You're not going to have a good time. That's the kind of warning you can only get on this show. So if you find that valuable, please like and subscribe. That helps this video get out, and that will uh, help other people avoid the the same sort of fate. If you want to help the programming continue forward, consider making a donation to the nonprofit Swedenborg Foundation, which is the we we put this thing on. We're we're hoping to provide experiences that are fun and good, and you guys can help that spread. Great. I said we're going to do questions, and we seriously are right after this video break. Okay, this is the part where I read what you guys wrote and say a few words, and then we go home satisfied and happy. So let's take a look. First question is, Anne-Marie, how can we do what Swedenborg does? 
Uh, that's a good question. And my answer is, I don't know, but I have a few thoughts on it. Swedenborg is remarkably unprescriptive, meaning he spends all this time writing, telling you about how the spiritual world works, uh, how to live the kind of life that's going to best prepare you for the spiritual world. He does not put any effort into telling you how to jump from one world into another. Some people have taken this as a statement from him that you shouldn't be trying to push it. Other people, you know, just think that he he uh, didn't feel like that was his mission to pull. He he had a uh, life philosophy that anyone could do, regardless of whether or not you can go see spirits or angels and leave your body or or travel and have your spiritual eyes open. So it's there's no clear and easy path that he lays out where he says do this, do that. I to get towards that happening, you would want to follow his steps of regeneration. You know, this is recognize negative things, push them out. We did, we've done other shows, pu- push them out, let good things in, learn, study, like uh, understand things about the spiritual dimension of life. That can push you closer. A lot of people have a lot of uh, ideas on how you can try to get that connection open, you know, and there's a lot of other sources on the web that are better for that than us. I don't consider myself an expert in that, in having spiritual experiences. Uh, it seems to me that, that Swedenborg's primary message is, here, here's a way you can live regardless uh, of if you ever see the spiritual world while you're in this world. Uh, so, so that was what he was pushing hardest. So there's my non-answer uh, to your question. Other people in the chat might have thoughts on that, uh, and there's yeah a lot of places on the web uh, to go take a look at. So thanks for the question. Hopefully... That was fun to hear me say that. Okay, next one. Yoga Po. What does Swedenborg say about intercessory prayer, praying for others? Swedenborg's take on prayer is that it does do good, but it doesn't maybe do good in that particular way. Meaning, there there is a school of thought that prayer is you're trying to change God's mind, that if enough people pray for somebody God will stop some kind of harm that was going to come to them, or if you pray hard enough, you can have God do something that you want God to do. Swedenborg says prayer is primarily, the the benefit is for you. When you're praying, you're opening yourself up to a higher, the, the acknowledgement that there's something higher than you that you need help from, and that that actually does good things from you. He does talk about when you pray for spiritual things, they can come. Spiritual things are not like a car or getting a job. Even getting a job, someone else getting a job, they are things like humility, um, uh, gratitude, an, uh, wisdom or insight into something. Those kinds of things you can actually gain, psychological things you can gain through that. Now, could you help somebody else get that? I don't know. He doesn't He doesn't shoot it down. He doesn't really talk about it happening, but it seems like a good exercise either way, that you're going to, you know, you're going to try to send some kind of loving energy their way. Maybe that helps. I don't know. He doesn't say a lot about it, but those are some building blocks uh, that, that you can take in and apply uh, as you'd like. So, Two questions, two shaky answers. All right, next one. Adam, why is there mental illness? Which is just like, why is there any negative phenomenon? The consciousness that we experience is a combination of physical and spiritual, as Swedenborg describes it. So you could have mental illness that is arising because your physical 
mechanism, your brain, that receives spiritual life is out of whack. And when that happens, uh, you, it, you, you, you're blocking certain things off, things can't come through, you experience deficiencies. On the other hand, Swedenborg says hell, evil spirits, which we've done a lot of shows on, uh, you know, how to deal with evil spirits, the lies evil spirits tell us, how to free your mind from hell, they come in and cause all kinds of what you would call mental illness. Swedenborg even directly talks about that leading to anxiety, depression, that kind of things. If that's your question, but it could be, why is there mental illness? Why is it allowed? In that case, you know, that's the larger question of why is any evil allowed? Swedenborg says, nothing is allowed to happen unless good can come out of it. And my answer always is that God is doing the best with what He has, and what He has is a whole human race of people who are all making choices for good or evil. In certain ways, we all suffer because of the bad choices of others, meaning, you know, if you pollute uh, a lake, everyone who lives on that lake is going to suffer from that pollution. So if we, as humanity, has polluted our thought sphere, innocent people can can contract problems from that. Uh, on the other hand, God is going to use anything, any malady that, that comes you come across to eventually benefit you. Somehow, your growing through that will, will make you more than you were. So, hopefully I understood your question there. Okay, great. Let's take a look at a few more. Carrie, Curtis, by not touching the words in the afterlife or twisting the meaning of God's Word, what does that relate to in the physical world? Well, Swedenborg was surrounded by what we hear about him talking about people going into that world and how they had been preaching a certain thing and they touched that Word. In his day, people misleading through religion was a, was not, even though you could say it's big now, uh, it was like church and state were like the same thing. Uh, the, the church in Europe was, was all over the place, and there were all these leaders who were teaching things like, you know, the only thing that saves you is faith. It doesn't matter if, uh, if you live a good life or not. So that that was what was, the people who were doing that, filling people's heads with the wrong ideas. Uh, that was what, in the other life, created that violent explosion. Here, I mean, uh, what that would relate to in the physical world nowadays is, yeah, is teaching people the wrong things, uh, distorting, doing violence to the truth, because the Word is the divine truth. Uh, you can find that truth in a lot of ways, but people who are harming, who are turning people away from that, uh, knowingly or unknowingly, that would be the correspondence to, you know, touching the, the truth, and it explodes because you're so opposed to the actual truth, uh, the truth that brings people to, to loving each other. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. Next one. Megan, how does God use light to guide us toward good living? If we want to do good but don't know what is the best way to do good, I would say that is a time in which prayer is useful, because there you are saying, I need help knowing where to go. That's, that, that is the opening up. Now, the light in the spiritual world is truth. So going to learn truth, we're, we're hoping on this program that we are teaching the truth. That's why we're doing this, is because we think, hey, this might be the truth, let's get it out there, see if it helps people. So going and learning is is learning things, learning spiritual uh, spiritual facts or spiritual teachings. That's like turning a spiritual light on in your head. And if you 
acquiring those concepts for yourself, are, that's sort of like a platform or a foundation that God can then work into. If you have that in your mind, even if your ideas aren't quite right or quite accurate, if you're close and you have the will to do good, then God can use that to move you. So keep learning. Try to smell out where do you think is the truth in the world. Go after it as closely as you can, then stay humble and be asking for divine, where, where do I go? And, and there should be enough to pull you in the right direction there, or, or that's the theory anyway. Thanks, great question. Uh, let's do a few more here. White Dove, does our imagination create things like God does? It sort of does. Uh, in the spiritual world, as we were describing in this episode, what's going on in your heart and mind affect what is around you. But it's not necessarily like, I'm going to imagine a, a house, and then a house is there. It's a little less voluntary. Like, um, well, it's both. I mean, you heard about in that long video with the thing hanging from the rope with a scary mouth. Um Though there were evil people who had projected this image of this temple that was really great, even though it wasn't there. So there is sort of this, you know, art that you can achieve where you create images, but they're not real things. It's an appearance. But the the stuff in heaven, the honest stuff, is not really the angels sitting there and imagining something. And it's it's them living their life and and believing what's true. And as an as a an unconscious reaction the surroundings around them change, but but that's that's God's... Um, God is figuring that out. He's architecting it. Angels have these amazing houses that change with their minds, but that's... God is is pulling the strings there, and that's how angels want it, because they know, hey, this is this is the divine coupling with me, my specific mind, and together, you know, God is shining through and making this thing that's just right for me to be in. So those are a few thoughts on that. Okay, let's do uh, two more questions. Diana... Does Swedenborg say anything about forgiveness? It certainly does. Uh, morality, we're, we're off here talking about spiritual light, and this thing appears, and there's a rainbow with a green circle in it. The most important thing is love. That's what matters, Be, beyond anything else. All this other stuff is just a reflection of that. So things like forgiveness uh, are essential to our development as, as people. And we haven't done a show particularly about forgiveness, but um, I'm reminded of that quote where Jesus, someone's asking Jesus Christ, where, where, how many times do I forgive? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. Uh, and that seven times seven means all. So always forgiving. But it's different than you don't just, if someone's doing something wrong and they continue to do it, you don't just enable them. You do have to take steps to stop them. But in your heart, you can be, you know, saying to, saying, you know, as soon as they get out of this, I want to be friends again. Angels, which is the mindset we're all trying to get to, they don't hold a grudge at all. They aren't angry at evil spirits. They don't want to hurt anyone. God has no grudges. God, Swedenborg, I just was reading it, he says, even the people who hate God the most bitterly, God is not angry, is not consider them enemies. He's always trying to figure out ways to do good to them without harming them or harming other people. So forgiveness is important, and this is how you get to the light, is through doing things like this. So there's that. Okay, one more. Starry Crown. Do these evil spirits that attack, are they around us? I really do not want them around. Well, the way that Swedenborg describes it, evil spirits are around the way that germs are around. 
you know, we we all have to be careful. If we poke ourselves on a rusty nail, you gotta go get your tetanus shot because there's germs in there that'll that'll mess you up. You know, you you gotta be careful. It's flu season. You gotta protect yourself. In the same way, hell is around. But it's not like we're all living in haunted houses and there are evil spirits creeping up behind. This is just we. It, it's there, but it's always part of life. Heaven and hell are around. Uh, they're they're part of of the life experience. And there's certainly Swedenborg encountered a lot of evil spirits when he had his eyes open. But we are all under various levels of protection, so we're not going to bump into them. You know, people go their whole lives without believing there are even are evil spirits. It's more, it's really the way it all shows up is in the mind, in the thoughts and feelings. So the more that we choose loving thoughts and loving feelings, the more power we gain, the less evil spirits can even do, the less hell can even do, the less harmful emotions can even do to us. I was just reading about how the more you confirm yourself in love and in spiritual truths, the more that evil spirits don't even want to try to mess with you because they know, oh, this person is is not going to go for it, and they don't want to lose, so they're not going to do it. So just keep being good. Notice the people you're around. Figure out how to be loving. Look at yourself. Try to push away things that are harmful and and ask for better things in their place, and you're going to be just fine. You're going to have a good immune system. Spiritual germs aren't going to bug you, all right? Thanks, everybody, so much for watching. And speaking of immune systems, we're actually going to be talking next week, same place, same time, about spiritual detoxing, how that process is, how it works, the spiritual kidney, everything. Why wouldn't you want to come back for that? I'll see you next Monday. Thanks.